Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. Today, my guest is lead analyst Logan Motoshami to talk about the Fed, the 10-year yield, mortgage rates, and more. This is Sarah Wheeler, Editor-in-Chief at Housing Wire, with Ryan Marshall, CEO and founder of Equity Protect, to talk about a very specific and growing kind of fraud risk. Ryan, what is deed fraud? In today's landscape, scammers follow a series of steps, often by obtaining a list of properties without mortgages, and are frequently non-owner occupied from industry providers like Title Toolbox or Title 365. They then delve a little deeper, identifying properties with recently recorded grantor-grantee deeds where the notary stamp is still valid. They'll take the deed, they'll modify the deed in a electronic uh, format, something like Adobe Pro. They'll change the ownership details to their own. They'll add a fictitious escrow number. They'll modify the recording request to appear legitimate. And then they'll make slight alterations to the return address, making sure that that title company or the proposed uh, title company never sees a copy of it. They then carefully refine the copy to make sure that it resembles an original document. And then they simply submit it to an online service provider or they physically walk it into a county recorder's office. The next step is the scammer will visit a local bank with uh, lax security measures in place. They assume a false identity. They apply for a loan, patiently wait a three-day rescission period, deposit the money into an account that's often held for five to seven days. They'll withdraw it, and then they vanish without a trace. Ryan, thanks for letting us know about that. Listeners, you can find out more information about deed fraud and how to prevent it at equityprotect.com. Logan, welcome back to the podcast. It is wonderful to be here. Happy Friday, Sarah Wheeler. Happy Friday. I think you're in uh, Denver. I'm in Miami. Like, what's going on here? I'm in Denver. You know, Denver is a Denver is a lovely city. Oh, I know. I love Denver. Lots of fun here in Denver. Yes, my first time. Wow, that's great. Yeah, no, I love Denver. I love Colorado. Okay, well, let's talk. We have had the craziest week. We're recording this on Friday. Of course, the, this podcast will go live on Monday, but can you recap this week for us? Because um, it's kind of hard to understand what's going on. Sarah Willer, I'm, I'm dishing out CDs on the streets. It's called Bond, Bond Yields Gone Wild, you know, uh, in the month of September. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. The last podcast we talked about, you know, you know, the bond market got a lot of itchy fingers here. You know, we've broken some key technical levels. And, you know, the Fed isn't, it's, it's really interesting with the Fed this week. Uh, Austin Goolsby, one of the Fed presidents talked about, he doesn't understand why the long end of the bond market is rising. And for me, of course, this year, the, the peak forecast on the 10 year yield was four and a quarter and everything moved around jobless claims. Uh, the growth rate of inflation is falling. We just got the PCE report. So, we're actually under 4% now on, on that data line. And the, the 10-year yield, of course, dropped right, right after that news. But for me, this year was about jobless claims. So, so remember that dollar collapse nonsense we had to deal with a few months ago? 
I do, yes. You know, so people thought about, oh, the dollar's going to collapse. Russia's going to take over the world. The BRICS, yeah, that's not happening. I think the concern sometimes is when the economy starts to perform well, the dollar could get stronger. The dollar getting stronger is is a concern of mine so much that I said, if the dollar hits a certain level, I'm going to be the U.S. dollar for Halloween because the dollar is going to be a big, giant wrecking ball for the entire world. Uh, and the dollar has gotten stronger. So that's one aspect. The other aspect is literally right in front of everyone's faces. Jobless claims data is getting noticeably better. Um, the four week moving average is at 211,000. You know, so my kind of breaking point, uh, uh, for everything on the bond market is 323,000. I said, until that happens, you know, we could stay in this channel. So the dollar's getting stronger. Jobless claims has been falling for many weeks now. Um, and the Fed was very hawkish in their forward-looking uh, guidance. You put all those together where we are technically, and for the Goolsby to say, I don't realize why the 10-year-old is rising, you know. Uh, and the reason I think he said that is, you know, what we've talked about. Real yields are very restrictive for them already. It was restrictive when it was at four to four and a quarter percent. Uh, so bond yields going up now against them it goes against what they want, right? If if they wanted a, a soft landing, and the soft landing, if you, everyone could debate what that actually means. For me, it's you know the unemployment rate doesn't go above four point seven five percent. So in this context, you can see why the bond yields have been very acting up. You have a Federal Reserve that gave very hawkish forward looking. The dollar's getting stronger. Jobless claims has been falling. There's some supply coming onto the market. Japan is doing their thing. So there's a lot of things happening out here that sent the bond yields higher. But if the Fed says they're going to cut rates and then their forward-looking guidance actually, you know, kind of, or Kashkari says maybe one rate hike, guess what? You know, uh, uh, the bond market goes against you. So again, I, I was very suspicious of them in the first place in terms of we want a soft landing because again, for me, it's if the Federal Reserve is running 1970s attacking inflation models, it's a job loss recession. Nothing else. I think what's occurred right now is that uh, they did not believe inflation could come down without people losing their jobs. Inflation, the growth rate of inflation has come down and the labor market, while it's getting softer, it's if we, again, I, I like I was at a conference, I was speaking to everyone. I said, listen, if we all went into a coma and we woke up and somebody told us job openings is near 9 million and jobless claims is near 200,000, everybody would say, oh my God, the US labor market's on fire. So just by those numbers, the labor market is still doing good. So in that context, inflation should have never gone down if you're using 1970s models. So they're kind of stuck here and they're not they don't need to push this anymore. They didn't need to push it toward the end of Christmas, right? Like we like we said, who spiked the Fed's eggnog? So here, I think they're they're in a very precarious position here because they just talked about Ford guy. They're trying to still talk tough, and the bond market is going against them. And they were talking about rate cuts for next year because if the growth rate of inflation, well, if the ten-year yield goes up on them. If they if if they're authentic with that view, they would cut rates faster. So there's they're in an area right now where 
they've got to be a little bit more careful, right? And again, for me, it's always they want the labor market to break. And I'm not a Fed pivot person. If people who don't believe in the Fed pivot needs to need to explain what that means, there's a lot of people who just want to watch America burn. So they said, keep raising rates. Something's going to break. Something's going to break. I'm not one of those people, but I'm just I'm just running off of what I believe they wanted to do. And jobless claims has gone the other way, right? It's not we had a we had a we had an uptrend in that data line for a few months. That has broken it. It's gone, but right back down. And I know that that was key to your whole economic forecast for this year. Is like this is when we'll see things happen. It's based on the on the labor data. But break this down, please. For like, I'm if if I'm a loan officer, I'm I'm at the uh, NAREP conference right now. Tons of real estate agents. You know what everybody wants to know from the stage, from you know what they're asking is like, when are rates going to fall? Fall. So if you're a real estate agent, if you're an LO out there, what do you see that happened this week? What should I expect? Because mortgage rates went higher than you know it, they're now at a twenty year high. You know, we wrote this article recently where some of the dynamics that are in 2023 are not going to be here in 2024. And then we take multiple variable uh, factors that are going into the economy. Number one, a lot of questions at this event in Denver about student loan debt. And I said, listen, student loan debt, majority of people who finish college make money. So they're not going to like, like people are thinking, oh, well, as soon as you pay your student loan debt, you're going to, you're going to lose your house or something. We have to get off of this panic stage every single year about these about these stories. So less disposable income is a valid premise, right? So there's going to be less money in the economy. Uh, oil prices are rising again, but you know, oil prices adjusting to inflation is not like it is in the 1980s. So one of the things I had to explain, like the 1980s, if we took oil prices, what it would have to be today is like $450 to have the same impact like it did uh, in the late 70s. So, so we've had higher oil prices for longer and the economy kept on expanding, even in 2010 to 2015 before oil, oil fell. So, so we, we, we can, we can, we can take some of the oil hit, but that all these things will take less, uh, uh income from spending into other things at the economy. So next year, with all the rate hikes, with the bond yields rising, everything, um, it's like what I talked about on CNBC. What is one sector, construction, employment? That's something that could fall down because the apartment boom is over. These things, the labor market, Fed rate hikes, all these things in 2024 is a better backdrop than in 2023. But for me, again, jobless claims have to rise. And I'm not, I'm not pivoting on the Fed pivot until claims break over 323,000, even if they cut rates next year. What I'm talking about is different than what the, the Fed is talking about. So we can have a better backdrop for next year after all the variables are put into place. Uh, you know, if oil prices were falling, the student loan debts uh, weren't being paid, that's that's a different conversation, but that's that's not happening. Uh, the things are gonna come into play now that last year at this time, remember, uh, the growth rate of inflation is falling, oil prices were falling, rates were falling. Those are things that are good for the economy. Here, uh, you have variables that could slow the economy down. That would help. Um, um, bond yields. But again, the labor market is frustrating the Fed. Uh, for jobless claims to reverse like it did in the last uh, uh, few months, uh, um, I know they're thinking, God, what do we need to do to break this? And uh, short-term rates aren't working. Uh, long-term rates could be their uh, solution to this. But it, they're confused. They have 
well, they're saying one thing one day, they're saying another thing the other day. They don't understand why the long end of the market's going. And then they're telling people, well, cut rates because real yields are so high. So uh, they're playing with fire. And like we said, itchy fingers, right? Bond markets are itchy fingers at this point. And we saw what happened. We had a very, very wild week on the 10-year yield uh, uh, up and down. I think we're off 20 basis points from, from the uh, intraday high of uh, uh, last week. So, you know, I am always trying to nail you down on specifics on mortgage rates, and you are always giving me all of the good reasons why, all of the things we need to consider, but but I'm just going to summarize it. What I hear you saying is that between here and the end of the year- There's a better backdrop for rates to fall. Yeah. There's a better backdrop for rates to fall next year with all the variables in, in, in play than, than what we than what we deal with uh, uh, this year. Uh, that's, that's, that's how I'm approaching it. Considering where mortgage rates are, where the 10-year yield's at, the economy's in a different spot for 2024 than it is in 2023. The Fed has tried to like try to manage this by saying they'll cut rates if bond yields go higher, but bond yields went up so much on them that you know you've already seen comments being made. So we'll see how that works. But again, jobless claims, uh, jobless claims reverse. That's why we follow that every Thursday. Uh, that's my kind of fed, fed pivot level and jobless claims getting better and the dollar got stronger and there's a lot of supply coming on and demand. There's all these things. And for the fed to want to play fire and talk tough. Now, this is what happens. And I think there's a group of them that do not want to see this. Uh, and then there's a group of them that said, this is the only way we could break the economy. So I'm just sticking to exactly how I've looked at this from the start. Uh, labor market, labor supplies, their target. It's always been the target. They haven't got it. The growth rate of inflation has fallen. Without that, labor market is tight. They messed up. They don't know how to get out of it. And it's difficult for them to have a coherent talk because one day, oh, we, 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 we need to be strict. Oh, why are bond yields rising? So they're going to have to come together and have a, a more coherent message now because in one week, you had almost a 50 basis point move in one month, basically. Uh, uh, that is against their interest, what they have told us recently. So uh, it, it gets just, again, more interesting toward the end of this year, considering where we are, uh, especially above four and a quarter on the 10-year yield. Well, thanks for that insight. Because again, if people were looking at your um, at your guidance and at your forecast, it's been about labor the whole time, right? We uh, You even wrote an, an article in the spring was it summer, spring, where you were like, um, you know, why it's not about inflation, it's about labor. And so here we are, we are in September. That's 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 a key thing, because I think, you know, speaking at this event in Denver, a lot of people said, well, kind of, we were told that if inflation falls, mortgage rates should fall, bond yields should fall. And we, we're not in the previous decade, right, where the economy is growing slow and global yields are low and Inflation was tamed. So I think if we're, if we're trying to incorporate models based on what we've had to deal with in the past decade, that's not going to work. Right. Um, so the growth rate of inflation is falling, but core PCE is at 3.9%. Right. We could hardly get that up to 2% in the, in the 21st century. So bond yields around the world are higher. So incorporating that for this year, just I, I didn't think it was going to work. That's that's why it's funny because every, everywhere I go, I bring the Gandalf line. I said, listen, I have to believe in what I forecasted that I've got to bring that to say we're not going to break here because the labor market, it's it's going to override inflation. Now, 
that was back when the 10 year yields at 3.37. So there is no Gandalf lineup here, right? If, if the jobless claims were over 323,000 in the four week move range, I could put him on the top end. But we're at 211,000. So it, it, it's just been, it's been such a wild week. It's been such a wild month in September. But I'm hoping that now the Federal Reserve is like, do we really want to play with fire? And if they do want to play with fire and have the long end goes, then it's it's my assumption was right. They want to create a recession. They feel better about inflation, fighting it with the labor supply growing. Two to three million jobs being lost. They could handle that. Uh, they feel very comfortable about managing the economy with job openings above seven million. Uh, I, I know a lot of people hate the job openings data, but they run off of that. So uh, it was around 7 million before COVID hit us. It's like near 9 million now. So that coming down makes them happy. And Jay Powell talked about that. We're really happy about the recent labor report, you know, so they need to see more weakness in that. Uh, and I think that's maybe some of the, maybe the hawkish tone is, wow, jobless claims not breaking. Man, this is, uh, this is not working. So it's, it's confusing because, you know, 24 hours, another Fed member was, why are bond yields going up? You know, that shouldn't happen. So. It's tr- trying to thinking you could control nature or thinking you could control the bond market, you know, in, in this global world. It's just sometimes you, you could you could lose uh, uh, grip on that very fast. And we saw this this last week out there. And, you know, Neil Kashkari was 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 being, you know, uh, uh, tested on CNBC. They said, what are you doing? Why are you why are you, why are you pushing rates up higher? You talked about this and, you know, um, and my, my gut from the start. It's always been they, they want just a very small recession to bring the labor force supply up, to give employers more power against their workers, you know, uh, stuff like that. And uh, it, it's it hasn't worked as well as they thought. Boy, it sure hasn't. If you're in housing, it is, you know, it's hard when you're uh, James and I talked about this on the podcast yesterday, where it's like if you're in housing and it's September and you know your your guidance, which is uh, based on lots of great data and, and your models, is that like pretty much 2023 is not going to see a huge difference unless the labor market breaks. You're only in September. You got to get through the whole rest of the year and then probably the first quarter. I mean, it's just rough. It, it, it's funny because the Fed members say housing's recovering and. You know what? I, my joke is is that literally somebody took the purchase application data, showed the Fed, and they reversed it, and they just basically, you know, it's going up instead of down. So they're thinking, oh, it's going up, you know. So it's, you know, they know they know what they're doing to the housing market, and they don't care. Okay, that's kind of in my light only. They just don't care, and they're they're just making stuff up now on it. So it just it looks it looks bad. The, the optics look bad when the Fed members are very hawkish and they say housing's recovering. Now, if they said, well, new home sales are growing year over year, that's true. But the existing home sales market, the majority of homes being purchased is not, right? You know, we're no longer crashing like we did last year just because sales are so low. So I, I think there's a, there's a more sophisticated way that they could talk about housing. But when they just go, oh, housing's recovery, and then that's it. And then, you know, they, they leave it to interpretation. It, it makes them look bad because this is not some random person on the street. These are Fed presidents. They need to be a little bit more specific with details on housing 
because it just looks it looks bad when they make statements like that and then people are looking at the purchase application data and then everyone makes fun of the Fed on social media because of that. Okay, well let's dive into some of that data. Let's talk about pending home sales. Pending home sales uh fell noticeably month to month. Um again, when we take the purchase application data past 7% mortgage rates, uh it is weaker than what we have seen. Now, year to date, you know, the week to week data, we have we're almost flat. But if I just take the purchase application data on seven uh, percent plus rates, you can you, you see the noticeable weekly decline more from there. So we had a weakness in that existing home sales look like you're going to go below four million. Four million was the bottom. It's really rare in America for existing home sales to go under that. But you know, early in the year, I thought, okay, mortgage rates have to get to six percent for that rising demand to stay stable. After that. We never got there again. Every single month, existing home sales has been falling. Nothing noticeable, but it's slowly down and we're going to have probably another slow decline again. Um, rates are simply too high. Uh, and there's enough, there's more inventory now than the bottom of 2022 in March. So if mortgage rates fell, demand can pick up. It's not inventory holding people back. It's the uh, total housing costs. Uh, and uh, uh, at, at rates here, you just see the weakness coming into the weekly data. But again, it's nothing like we saw last year. I think that's, again, to me, that's the confusing part for people on housing because they see home prices already at all-time highs and some accelerating higher. And then again, that's more of, a, of an active inventory issue rather than uh, demand picking up. This is Sarah Wheeler, Editor-in-Chief at HousingWire, with Melinda Wilner, Chief Operating Officer at UWM. Melinda, what should independent mortgage brokers be doing right now to prepare for when rates do eventually come down? It's a great time to think about such an exciting time ahead. A couple of things. One, focusing on scalability of their business, how to do loans more quickly and with even greater service. It's a great time right now to really focus on the experience with the borrower too and the referral partners, the realtors, the people that they work with today to get business, really uh, strengthen those relationships, but really a giant focus on how to give the borrower the best experience so that when rates fall, it's a no-brainer. Let's do this again. Let's get our rate lowered. And then thirdly, really just focusing on the business and building the business. So whether it's marketing strategies, how am I going to do things differently uh, when it's a refinance period? Um, how am I going to um, train better and quicker next time if they intend on growing and adding to their team? What are the things that I can do to make training more quickly and, and easy in the future? So it's a really great time to think about. It's such an exciting time, but really important to think about and take the time to think about what's ahead. All great points. And listeners, you can find out more at uwm.com. Okay, let's talk about inventory. I know that it's Friday and you get the Altos data Friday night or Saturday morning. When do you get that? I get a Friday night. That's my hot Friday night date. It's <laughs> Altos research. <laughs> um, you know what? Yeah, for a chart guy, Altos research is yeah. perfect. So, um, so far, I have been wrong all year long. I assume that with higher mortgage rates, the growth rate of inventory can pick up, but I set my own targets, which is different than anyone else's. So it doesn't matter what anybody else says. I just look at mine and I had just anticipated 11 to 17,000 weekly active inventory growth. That has not happened. Now, the last two weeks, we've had 
roughly around 9,000. Um, it's late in the year. Usually we start to see the seasonal declines, but just like last year, if rates stay up higher, uh, then you can see, uh, the seasonal increase stay longer. I think last year, uh, we got, we had the seasonal peak was October 28th. That's very late in the year. Uh, and mortgage rates, uh, uh, peaked or, you know, we wrote that article on October 27th that, you know, mortgage rates, 10 year yield short term has peaked, you know, rates should fall. You know, we get that movement. We, not going to see that this year unless the bond yields start to notice we go lower. Uh, so it's going to be a much different backdrop now going into 2024. But I'm hoping today, you know, when this podcast comes on Monday that we are in that 11 to 17,000 level because I'm, I'm a pro supply person. I know how hard it is to get active inventory to go up and stay up. That's been the last 13 years of, of inventory data. Uh, so we'll see the new listings data. I'm just hoping doesn't have a big decline. Uh, um, it is susceptible to rates, uh, and people just go, I'm forget this. I'm not doing it. And especially after a week like this, uh, I'm just hoping that we're not having the conversation that new listings data took a noticeably decline because we're, we're trying to form a bottom here. I mean, we're going to have near 5 million total home sales. So it's not shocking that new listings data is trying to form a bottom, but. To have a functioning market, you need to have a new listings data to start growing again, or we're just going to be stuck here, you know, at at these uh, low levels of sales. We need to get unstuck because, you know, consumers who want to buy need need to have houses, real estate agents, um, you know, loan officers. You and I were talking to real estate agents last week in New York who normally, you know, these are very high producing agents. And even they are having a hard time, um, you know, finding something that people are willing to buy. You know, part of the whole savagely unhealthy housing market theme was that unlike 2000 to 2005, people can freely list buy homes because the credit channels allowed them to do so. Here, the concern was always if inventory gets to such a low level and prices get, you know, then some of that, you know, because uh, affordability issue gets hit and you don't, you lose that seller that's a buyer. Now it's, it's not only just the higher home prices, insurance costs, taxes, everything, mortgage rates. You know, we were working from three and a quarter to 5% for a decade and now, you know, seven and a half percent. People just can't afford to move, right? There's some people that, okay, you know, they have to move, but in a sense, if they wanted to buy a house, and they can't afford it, they're not moving. Uh, you could say you could say some people have sell their homes to go rent. That that's fine. But we're talking about sellers that are buyers. And when rates got down to six percent, we saw demand come back. I think that was the one data point that everyone was questioning. What would it take to just get demand to start increasing? Well, it didn't take rates to get down to five percent. Uh, it took rates to get down to six percent because we're working from such low levels of sales that. Lower rates can do the trick in terms of facilitating more demand. Um, I know a lot of people thought, well, we have to, you know, break under five, get, get near 4%, uh, cause that's what everyone's used to. But because sales are so low, uh, uh we, we just have a very low bar. If, if existing home sales were running at five and a half million or five and a quarter million, something like that, that variable goes away because, because home sales collapse so much, the rate factor really plays into 
some of those sellers becoming buyers in that case doesn't necessarily grow inventory, but you get that transaction. And again, November, December, January of last year showed us that. Uh, and that was just getting mortgage rates from basically seven down to six. So that's, it's, that's one of the things to talk about is housing is kind of in a COVID-19 state of mind. You know, everyone's staying at home, uh, except they're not sick. You know, a lot of, a lot of homeowners have very low total housing costs. So, uh, they're shielded. They're done well. Uh, but again, for transactions, that's brutal. Uh, and even when they asked Jerome Powell about that, they said, Hey, listen, would you ever think about that? No, we don't. We don't care. You know, so that's the kind of answer they have with this. It's shocking, actually, to me. And what you described, it's interesting because I think there's a, a, a phrase that describes that. Oh, yeah, it's the mortgage rate lockdown. That's right. Uh, which we will be discussing at Housing Wire Annual, which is coming up very quickly now. People should join us. You're going to be giving a keynote. Um, we are going to end up the conference with a live podcast where we're going to be talking about the mortgage rate lockdown, true or false. Is it a real thing or not? I'm taking the opinion that it is. You have a different opinion, but we so will. Have when rates fell, when mortgage rates fell, November, October, November, December, January. Did inventory increase? You know what, Logan? We are not going to get into. Was that there now. more listings? Not going to get into that. Now. Were they? Were there? I'm. You know, you do not have much time left, Sarah Wheeler. You better have a, a good game plan. I am prepared. This. I am prepared. I'm demand. Gonna- demand can be boosted with listen. Demand can be boosted with low rates. It's been my talking point for many years. But when people talk about mortgage rate lockdown, they're talking about active listings growing, inventory growing. That's never that's never happened after 2010. Hmm. It's it's a myth. It's 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 a it's a great marketing theme. You know, we're never going to get inventory unless rates go down. Buyers and sellers, right? Rates fall, demand picks up. But it's never we've never seen it in the data that active inventory grows with low rates. Not one time. Listen, I am prepared. I am going to be uh, standing up for my side and for all the people who are like, yeah, Sarah, we're on your side of this mortgage rate lockdown. But really, people should come and listen to us. And Logan, thank you so much for joining me today. Pleasure is all mine. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.